Hello and welcome to the Lost Art Podcast. I'm Garen, I'm here with Paul. How are you? How's things? And this week we're going to be doing Famous After 40. Yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it though? Yeah, but, it makes sense. But tell them what it is anyway. Okay, so basically what we wanted to do was we wanted to do um, acts or bands or singers or songwriters that kind of made their name for themselves around the age of 40. We're saying after 40, but we're giving ourselves a couple yeah, of late, years. Late 30s, 40s, even that is pretty impressive if you make yes. it after late late 30s to 40s. Yeah, And you know what? The more I was thinking about it is, is like, maybe we're doing this because both of us have had a musical release in the last few years. I 100% assumed. <laughs> I 100% assumed. That maybe was why we were doing it. Maybe we're doing it, David Brown. Both of us are t- touching the cloth of we're 40. Close. Very close. And uh, and we've both released music recently. We're go- well, by the time this comes out, maybe you'll have my stuff out. I don't know. Um, but uh, <laughs> I wonder what, what is that what, why it popped into our heads to do it. But maybe. It's, it's definitely the most difficult time to do it. Like well, um, you know, yeah, six, I think so. Sixty is probably harder, but but what I'm saying is, usually your cutoff time is twenty five. Yeah, well, it seems to be that if you're not recognised by the by the time you're kind of thirty, say that it's over for you. Yeah, let's be honest. Um, so what we're looking at here is we're looking at a bunch of outliers who waited. No, that's a lie. Who were later in life before. The world recognised them. Yeah. So. And to be fair, they've probably been trying a lot of different things before this. That, Absolutely. And then just hit at the right time. There's one person here in particular, especially my first one, mm. that just happened to hit at the right thing at the right time. But yeah, it's an interesting one. It's one that I thought we would struggle to fill a playlist with. But There's a bunch we, of them. But we were actually all right. We yeah. were actually cutting people off, which is a good sign for a possible volume two. Absolutely. Uh, so without further ado, then yeah. who is your first entry into Famous After or Around 40? <laughs> he's, he's definitely After 40. And it is John... Paul Larkin. Now, you say, I thought you said famous after When you 40. say Larkin, I say John Paul. I say John Paul. And when I say famous, you say who? So I said John Paul Larkin, the famous Californian-born singer-songwriter, born in 1942, suffered with a debilitating stutter. Some of you have already copped who I'm talking about. Is which it me? Haunted him, which haunted him for his whole life as a child. Relatively unknown until he reached the grand age gar of 53, where he sold millions of copies of... He's the scat man! Yeah, mm. fucking hell, man. John Paul Larkin. Good lad. Good lad. Well, you know what, though? I will say this, though. Although his success only kind of kicked off when he was 53, he did have some floors... With success, a few, a few little he flares. did, but they all did. These people yeah. are trying there. They're not always figuring out music like yeah. last minute. So he actually played piano on Sam Phipps's first album. Now, who's Sam Phipps? Someone in a band we've covered a lot on this podcast. He's a saxophone player from Oingo Boingo. Oh, Danny Elfman fronted eighties band that we talk about a lot. The new wave band we've covered them a lot. He played piano on that album and that was in I put that at maybe late 80s I think it was but it wasn't until the early 90s when he moved to Berlin that he took the very brave step in fairness to him to start singing on his own music which for someone with a stutter 
Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Well, he picked the right style of music. He did. Well, this is the thing. He listened to a lot of Ella Fitzgerald when he was growing up. And he did try to kind of scat and sing. And I want to stay away from the word scat. Because now people it's only remember double that. double entendre. Really? Yeah, it is. It's a number two entendre, definitely. So his wife suggested when they moved to Berlin that he sort of addressed his stutter in his music. And he was like, what do you mean? Like, talk about like my stutter in the music? He's like, yeah, just talk about that. So he went, all right, grand, okay. So his Danish agent had the idea of combining this kind of scat style singing with modern dance music. And initially he was like, yeah, absolutely not. I'm I'm now, lads, I'm not doing dance music. Like it's Euro, not for Euro me. Euro dance music. And that was huge in Europe at the time. Obviously mid-90s, that was early 90s to mid-90s. That was absolutely massive. So the, the scat man said, okay, look, I'll give it a go. And Shaney Mac car. I know, it was you. I remember. Shaney Mac. I remember. Also, we have to address the uh, elephant in the room. It's that uh, me and you are actually in the same room. We are in the same room. Sticking our, upon our fans. But we've stopped kissing now. We've Yeah, it's we, over. It took hours to stop kissing. If we had hours. If we had COVID, we both have it right now. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, we are looking at each other. Yeah. It's it's a yeah. force in like nine months. And if you think there's a weird tone to our voice, it's all the gargle. Because you'll have possibly heard <laughs> what we were recording earlier on Saturday. But now we listen. It's Monday morning. You're listening to this. We're smashed up hammered now. But yep. pre- pretend that you're smashed up hammered as well. If you're on the bus to work, God, sick I hope you're not. God, sick enough. God, I hope you're Imagine how to work. But look. Larkin himself said, I do not want to do this kind of dance stuff. People laughed at me my whole life at me stutter. And if I didn't try to do dance music in my 50s, people are going to laugh at me even more. But look, it took off absolute gangbusters. I love saying that. Gangbusters are one of my favourite phrases. It took off gangbusters. I don't get to say it enough. It took off gangbusters. The scatman, absolutely fucking miles ahead in the charts. Do you know, here's the weird thing, right? It sold millions, right? This single sold millions. Mm. It went to number one in Austria, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, France, Ireland, Norway, Spain, Switzerland, but not his home country of America and not his adoptive country of Germany. Really? Now, it did do well in Germany. It went to top ten. But that's kind of weird, isn't it? If you think about it. Strange. An American-born man, Californian, moves to... Moves to... Berlin in his 50s. This is crazy, man. This story is absolutely crazy, right? So he was monstrously big in Japan. So whatever about like moving to Germany and Berlin Berlin, and, and, and doing his thing there, hooking up with this Danish... Other scatters. Sc- scatologists. Other <laughs> yeah. scatologists. That's people who cre- collect dis- discography of scat singers. Yes. Nothing else. Not the Dort. Yeah. He was absolutely, absolutely massive in Japan. And his second single, Scatman World, was, like a lot of 90s second singles, extremely similar to the yeah. original one. But not without its own merit. Yeah. Basically, they kind of sort of revert the melody and turn it into a new thing. It's almost like a alternative version of the first single. But like Morris is, yeah, but like, look, man, he's in his 50s. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Especially not, having you, you're stumbling upon. If it's not fixed, don't break it. Your first kind of big single in your yeah. musical life. Your big, no, I say big, you remember that. That was so big. That was insane. Like, he just took over Europe. Like, I was time. a scat man. I was, I was considering myself an honorary scat man myself. Yeah, exactly. A, a scat gent. 
<laughs> so points are great. Points, so many points are so great. So here's the thing, right? This is a really sad part. He, he died. died in 1999. Really? Five years after Finding Fame. That's fucking cruel. His whole life being a musician, hiding behind the piano because he had a bad stutter, moving to Germany, Finding Fame there with a really unusual mix, if you mm. think about it, being taken over by the Japanese as like one of their own, brought over there. So even though his career was slightly waning towards 1999, in Europe, in Japan, it was as solid. He had loads of singles and a special Japanese album. They all have a special Japanese album. Of course they do. Them I- import yeah, albums. import albums. Yeah, I've been yeah. been a fan of those for years. I often bought, yeah, bought those. Yeah, like I know a lot of my favourite bands have a Japanese uh, album version and they'll have an absolute yep. banger on it that you're like, hang on a minute. Where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? Yeah, exactly. So, his third and final album was recorded in 1999 while he was suffering from lung cancer and he died in the same year. It was awful to only have experienced like five years of that fame, but... His main wish was to not be buried in the ground. He said that. He said, Jesus Christ, do not put me in. The great thing about, I suppose, the great thing about cancer. Yeah, Paul, the great thing about cancer is. Like, let's start that again. The not, the, the not awful thing about cancer not is terrible you, get, thing. you get to start planning. It's, you get to start planning some things yeah. rather than being hit by a fucking vehicle or whatever like that. He got to tell his wife, please don't bury me in the ground. I don't, don't like that. So he was. Scattered off the coast of Malibu. Scattered. Uh, scared. Scattered out of... <laughs> that's bad. Scattered off the boat of Malibu. No, Apologies that's fucking bad. He's uh, making me laugh at horrible stuff. He was, while his um, while his uh, his friends and a jazz trio played on the boat. Okay. So Scatman. Um, he was a recipient of the American Speech Language and Hearing Association's Annie Glenn Award for outstanding service to the stuttering community and, a nas- and the National Stuttering Association. Oh, why wouldn't that be? I, do you not remember? Cause. Do you not remember? Um, do you remember when Kanye West released uh, Jesus? Oh, you don't remember because you were like, yeah. I, to be fair, even at the time, I was like, eh, whatever. No, we'll listen later. I, no. And he had that that we're going to shake this club like Parkinson's. Yeah. And like the Parkinson's like of Association of England them. went after him no these associations exist to, to create awareness for, for people with uh, you know issues are you into like, awareness well apparently my Facebook page and the fact that I'm lost like most of my friends would, would suggest yes yeah okay I have uh, well I don't know man I like a level playing field with everyone do you know what I mean yeah I'm kind of the same it's like it, you can have like a bit of awareness until it's exclusionary yeah, yeah I, I get that but <laughs> like also I don't want to be a bore and I've definitely become a bore in the last year because I've not. I'm sitting at home on the internet. Know, of course, do. I'm going to be socially just to see. Of course, I, know, I am. There's nothing else to do, was that? There's nothing else to do. But like, honestly, as like what what you're saying there, I do believe in a level playing field for everyone. If if I'm having the crack, and I feel like there's someone not having the crack, I'm like, why are they not having the crack? Oh, they're not allowed. Inject to Inject yourself. They're not. They're not. Cracks, they're not allowed to have the same amount of crack as we are because yeah. of the lack of uh, tickets. Like six sick. Long time. Okay. Just pops from. Yeah, I don't know. That's how I feel about that. Like drink tickets. It's all like drink tickets where like, if you come into a place and you get like a lot of drink tickets and someone else has like two, you're like, oh man, I don't know. You should have like one of them. I don't know how to ex- explain social Scat justice and, and not sound like a fucking scammer Joe. Scatman Joe. Scatman Joe. Scatman Joe. Who's your first famous okay, after so party? My first one is Willie Nelson. 
That's so, a good one. That's a good one. Willie Nelson was born in 1933. Was he not like famous at 12? No. Willie Nelson didn't have a hit until the 70s. Fuck. And by the time he had a hit in his, uh, uh, not in his 70s, but their <laughs> 70s. Jesus Christ. He was 40. And uh, <laughs> it was with Shotgun Willie off the album Shotgun Willie. Which was in 1973. That's a great name. It is a great name. Now, what's weird is you listen to this song, and it's almost more of a soul song than it is of a country song. Because he only got famous when he was um, he was exposed to like outlaw country. So he was uh, playing regular kind of country music and nonsense. She left me. Exactly. So he was playing absolute nonsense until like 1973, and someone played um, outgoing, outgoing. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Outlaw Outrun Outrun Synthwave Country Outrun yeah. is a good game <laughs> Outrun is a great game It is uh, He was playing Outlaw Country <laughs> Fuck my life um, Around 1973 And that, that was around The time that he Started getting famous With Shotgun Willie So um, He was one of those guys Who had been He wrote his first song At like age 10 or 11 And he had been Involved in the music business For years and years and years But it was only At the age of 40 that people start actually paying attention. Most of, I'm going to be honest with you. Most of my people that I picked for tonight's playlist, they had been doing the rounds in music for a long time. Oh, point. yeah, yeah. Like, this is famous after 40. Not, like, just took <coughs> up the guitar yeah, a minute exactly. ago. So, at 40 yeah. years of age, Willie Nelson comes out with this album, Shotgun Willie. After jumping record label a couple of times, um, they decide that this is the particular sound for him, and he decides this is the particular sound for me. And he says, you know what? This is a bit of me, this is. And he says... This will do me. So he signs with Atlantic Records after jumping between two or three rec- different record labels. And they're putting out the normal kind of country stuff. They're having nothing to do with them. But by, by 73, country is a big thing with Waylon Jennings and all that. And he's like, I like it. I think I'll have a shot at it. But this song, what's interesting about Shotgun Willie, when you listen to it, has much more soul music influences than than kind of outlaw country or, or regular country. Just like, there's brass in it, and it, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's really weird. Now, poor L. Willie Nelson, by 1990, all of his assets are seized by the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, and they say that he owes them $32 million. $32 Hang on. Miggledy dollars. Miggledy dollars. $32 million. So what he does is he's had he had a terrible accountant, had a terrible solicitor, and he changes them all around. Because he's a big smoker of the old... Uh, Devil's cabbage. Well, apparently he uh, he outsmoked uh, Snoop Dogg. He did one outsmoke. Like, he did outsmoke. Out, outsmoked the dog. He outsmoked Snoop. Outsmoked dog. He outsmoked. No, <laughs> to be fair, Snoop Dogg said, oh, "Hell, his hands up and goes, yeah, really outsmoked me. He fucked me up. Yeah, ruined them. So uh, the IRS say you owe us thirty-two million dollars because he didn't know anything about uh, taxes or." How the papers? He thought the record boring. label. It is mad boring. But he thought the record label and all all these people were looking after his best interests. But it turns out they weren't. They never even registered him. So he's balls. So he goes off. He hires a new solicitor. He hires a new accountant, and he gets that number down to six million dollars. That's good from thirty. What thirty two? An awful lot. So what he does? He starts putting out all these kind of uh, best of compilations and. Uh, old recordings and all this kind sorry, of sorry he, he dropped like 25 million debt yeah that's impressive like overnight he says I'll tell you what selling I'll weed I'll give you six I, I would assume that it would be the same but like the revenue here where if you owed 10 million euros and you said I can't afford it but I can't afford to give you two they'll take the two 
I, I, it's better than a kick in the hole. Better than zero. Yeah. So I, I, I would assume that yeah, that's what I'm Yeah, maybe take. you're right. Yeah, yeah. Now, Willie Nelson did start a company. <laughs> he started a biodiesel company. Um, Willie's biodiesel? Is that, that him? That's exactly. No messing. It's called Willie Nelson biodiesel. <laughs> no word of a lie. He started a company because he started getting into mad, mad into weed and saving the fucking planet and whatever bollocksology. And uh, it's not bollocksology, it's real, we need it. But he, he got mad into it and he started this company called Willie Nelson's Biodiesel where he was going around collecting like old chip fat. <laughs> and, like, Willie's grease! Honest to God, Willie's, Willie's retirement retur- yeah. retur- grease! Yeah. And that's what he started and he started doing all that. But eventually he was able to pay off the six million and kind of come back. But yeah, Willie Nelson was 40 years of age before anybody really gave a shit. Holy shit. Now he'd put out a heap of albums before that. But again, nobody really cared. It was when Shotgun Willie came out, and because it was like a cross between Outgun Country, Outgun, I can't say it, I can't say it. (laughs) Outrun, Synthwave Country. Outrun, Synthwave, Dark Wave, Sex Car, I can't, I just can't say it. Outlaw Country, I can't do it. Um, It was a cross between that and like this weird soul thing that he had kind of come up with. That was the one that people paid attention right. to. Okay. So, yeah, that's it. Uh, William Nelson is my first one. Who was your second one? Gar, I want you to picture the scene, right? Right. It's I'm picturing two, it. It's 2009. I was there. Britain's Got Talent season three. Oh, he was not there. The jaded judges. Okay. Tired. Sitting down tired. Yeah. Simon Kell, Piers Morgan, I think Amanda Holden, and possibly someone else. Yes, this has to be four. Out walks this tiny Scottish woman I remember this alright Simon's thinking here's another mad Scott Ma drunk, drunk on Bookfast gonna screech you another rendition of Caledonia's calling Caledonia it's a great song to be fair to be milling fair. into fucking pizza crunch why do we have to entertain the kind of delusional crazy Scottish women year after year listen he goes What's your name, darling? She goes, I'm Susan Boyle. I'm Susan Boyle. That's what she says. She says it like that as well. So, Gar, I've told you who it is. It's Susan Boyle. Do you reckon it's her? And where are you from, Susan? He says, right? She mentions, she stutters. She's nervous, right? She's confident, but she's nervous. She's she wasn't, feared. She wasn't expecting She's that. a she, feared. She's not from Glasgow, and she's not from Edinburgh. So she comes out with where she's from. It's some mad like I can't even pronounce Glasgow it. Borough. And he's like, "Where's where? Where's that? Where is that?" And he's like, "It's a small collection of um, villages." She gets conf- she's flustered now. He's got it's, it's he's a got, multiple hamlet. Yeah, he's got her on the ropes now. He's got her on the ropes now. Mad Scottish lunatic. He's got her on the ropes. Right, yeah. going for the kill. And what age is Susan? And she goes, "I'm forty-seven." Susan Boyle's 47 at this stage, right? And she goes, and that's just one side of me. And she does this sexual gyration oh, of the hips. No. Now, that is enough to kill her. Yeah. She's on the full on the ropes now. She's lost. She's lost the crowd. She's lost the judges. She's lost Ant and Deck. Right? They're laughing in Geordie. Jo- they're laughing in Geordie over in the Boyga side, Grove. right? Piers Morgan, the man the Holden, have absolutely mentally checked out this <laughs> all together. The crowd are fully... Up, dressed up in their Primark jumpers and tracksuit bottoms, right? And their awful eyebrows. They're nudging each other, laughing, going, who's this fucking lunatic? Stay, oh, I can't wait to rip into her, right? Simon says, and who do you think you can be as successful as? Now, here's where she does the reversal. All right. 
Boyle straight away, right? Straight away, not thinking, not even, not even thinking for a second. Elaine Page, now, that's a fucking baller answer because that's not overreaching. Mm. That's quite clever. It's in the same demographic as someone her age. Yes, it's. She hasn't said. She hasn't said. Fucking Whitney Houston or Madonna, someone who's like been an iconic artist from their teens to their thirties. She hasn't. She's gone clever. She's got a lame page, and that's when Simon Cowell goes, "Holy shit!" Okay, you can see his eyes change. He goes, yeah. "Okay, that's not a bad answer." The lame page. <clears throat> Her sights are set at a lame page. Grant, let's give her the time to hang herself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it is. Simon goes and what are you going to sing darling now I'm like in my head I'm like do not please don't sing it from the ten, last 10 years please because you're, mm. you're going to feed them you're going to give please don't sing anything with any sexual connotations any like want to be dirty don't <laughs> sing anything like that don't sing Lauren Hill because it's fucking going to look make yeah. you look stupid she goes right I'm going to sing I, I dream a dream from <laughs> Libby's at Apples. And that's when I knew. Oh shit, hang on. She knows exactly yeah. what she's doing right here. Shit, guys, she's playing it right. She really is. She's absolutely playing it right. Playing the crowd. Yeah, you can't slag her for a choice. However, it's a monstrous song. Yes. Monstrous. Big time. She could get ruined by this physically. Her vocal cords could break halfway through this. Mm-hmm. There's a load of doubt in the judges' faces as well as the Scaldy crowd all nudging each other oh, oh she's fucking she's one. a fucking nut I can't wait for me garlic yeah. cheese chips after this yeah pray silence Susan Boyle begins to sing her she starts singing I dream the dream, dream in time gone by <sighs> crowd starts fucking losing their shit losing their shit they do that thing where they shoot straight to Simon Gale yeah. what's his reaction jaw drop jaw drop absolutely did that big face that big dumb face <gasps> I wasn't expecting anything yeah. like that from yeah look big cheer Simon's shocked maybe she's not a battered Mars bar soaked in iron brew and Highland's whiskey <laughs> maybe there's something more going maybe on she's not turf flavoured maybe she's not an absolute turf bog goblin <laughs> maybe there's something we can sell here right and Adam Deck in the corner going, hey, you didn't expect that. Off the side of the You stage. didn't fucking expect yeah. that, you piss head. Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry, Ant. Yeah, though. Fuck you, though. <laughs> How about them? When hope was high and life was living. <sighs> Crowd starting nudging each other going, yeah, I knew she was good. Yeah. Lawyers. Yeah. Garda lawyers. Were. Full lawyers. Fucking full-blown lawyers. Pretend they <laughs> knew that she was a banger of a singer straight away no no I knew by looking at her she was really good the moustache doesn't even interfere with her well literally talking about Mrs. Doubtfire meets yeah. the Home Alone Pigeon Woman <laughs> grim. <laughs> giving, grim giving it the massive one on the biggest stage in the world right now the rest is history however you should know that she didn't win the competition Diversity Dance Troupe won it but they can't sell records because yep. do you know what a dance troupe record sounds like Yeah, you can't make a number one out of people's yeah. feet tapping. True. However, True. she did come second. <laughs> oh, second she came. She I did, I second to that. diversity. And the queen the queen had to watch diversity dance around and not listen to Susan Boyle singing Elaine Page songs. Oh. Because I Dream the Dream is an Elaine Page song, to be fair. Right. So, after that, let's cut to 2009. Her dream debut. 
I Dreamed a Dream, which is also her dream debut called The Dream Dream. <laughs> it's the UK's best-selling debut album of all time. She had five million in her bank account in the first year. That's not the rest of it. She sold 19 million albums across her entire paid career. Paid off the fucking gas bill and the gym. I paid off the gas bill? Yeah. I, I could buy and brew if I wanted to. The electric bill. The lecky. No, yeah. the lecky. <laughs> the lecky bill. I had the lecky. <laughs> she paid the lecky. <laughs> Girl, look it. 19 million albums worldwide. Two Grammy nominations. She got to finally sing with Elaine Page. I'd love to sell 20. Mm-hmm. 20 singles albums or singles or whatever I'd love to sell a song here's the problem right her idol Elaine Page right she got to sing with her life and she said Elaine will you sing I Dream the Dream or one of those fucking bullshit songs I don't listen to any of that music sorry I don't and Elaine Page goes I'll, I'll do it I'll sing with you of course yeah fucking and, and here's the thing not here, like here's ha-ha, where, here's, here's where I think no it's not ha-ha. well she might be for something not on telly not on telly like, well Look. No, let's be honest. It's, it's whatever you're people into. People are talking about you. Whatever you're into. Uh, no. But <laughs> people are talking about you. Look, listen to me. Well, sing a song Listen to me. I sang a song with her. I dreamed the dream yeah. when time gone by. <laughs> I loved it in the crowd tune. <laughs> <laughs> she got to sing with Elaine Page. But here's the problem, right? Elaine Page goes, yeah, that was great. I got to sing on your album. Now, here's the thing. Susan Boyle is selling millions of albums. Mm-hmm. Elaine Page is not. Susan Boyle is miles ahead of Elaine Page right now and here's the thing she meant name checked I would love to be as big as Elaine Page but she's surpassed completely surpassed her. Su- surpassed her so she hires she Courtney Love she surpassed her now here's the thing right Elaine Page goes y'all singing her song but the song was cut from the album no yeah. Dort now Elaine Page says I don't know why it was cut from the album I think it's because Subos Subo Ooh. Subo's record label are super protective of her but then it came out there was an interview that Elaine Page did mm. around that time girl I need to let you know what she said what did she interview. say she doored on her she doored on her if she's singing an Elaine Page song yeah right Elaine Page is sort of not killing it on the scene as much she said and there's a nicer way to say this I'm better I'm better she said she likened Susan Boyle's success to a virus taking over the world. No. Now, what you're supposed to say is, she went viral. Yeah. You don't say, she's like a she's virus. She's a virus. That's like... That one's a virus. That's like, always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. You've got the virus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, this song was cut from the album. No. Because of that. That's dirt. But look, here's the thing. I like to believe that her record label is very protective of Susan Boyle treating her well because she seems to be a sort of delicate kind of artist yes now I only say that because she's had a few meltdowns with journalists but who hasn't Bjork has had one we've all look, we've all had it we talked about me and you would yes. definitely slap a few people through our, through our course of our post uh, Britain's Got Talent career Sue about 19 million albums beacon of hope for anyone over 40 who's uh, who sold you know she. You, but now I will say if you're over 40 you also have to have a one in like 50 million voice like Susan Boyle she has a to be fair to Susan Boyle yeah, you, even you though know, she, she's not a beacon of hope for over 40s she's a beacon of hope for over 40s who have a voice that's one in like 100 million yeah she's a beacon of hope for mutants 
That makes her sound like a mutant. We don't know uh, if she's a mutant. No, she is. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but, she is. But she is also a phenomenal voice. She's a banana singer. But you know who's better? Diversity. <laughs> who's your next one? Uh, my next one is... It was at this point, folks, that we had to stop. Uh, <laughs> we were we'd been drinking from early. Uh, that was the first podcast we'd recorded together in months, and we'd done it on the same night that we uh, we were we're doing some some audio video stuff for another another project for Lost Art, and we were just too drunk. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, it was uh, just we were like we would went the podcast would have ended up five hours easily. Like we were well, half maybe, an hour maybe. in and three songs in, and it was <laughs> like this was after we'd done about two hours of footage for yeah, the videos. Exactly, we were just smashed up, and I'd forgotten my notes as well, so I was trying to remember <laughs> everything while like whizzing around on the internet on my phone, and then I think we paused it once or twice, and the microphone got disconnected from the from the laptop. And I kept coming up with these errors, and like it was an easy thing to fix, but I was just too drunk to do it, and I kept making it worse. So we had to call it. We said, "We're gonna, you know what? We're gonna finish this remotely, like the last kind of nine months worth of podcast." So uh, today we're gonna finish this podcast. Um, it's the first ever podcast we've recorded in two different places. So, so that should be fun. Actually, three, it's, a, it's a force for us. Three different places. We've got all, where you're living, where I'm living, and where we were together last week. True. Holy, That's very true. Holy God, Miley. <laughs> oh, yeah, I haven't listened back to what we recorded there, but so it'll be interesting. I can't remember. So it'll be interesting to hear when this goes out, like the difference I'm, between the two. Yeah, it's definitely I'm, drinking, I'm drinking now, if that's any good. I am not. I am in bits after last <gasps> night. After last night, I am in bits. We had that. We had a big session there on Wednesday when we we were doing the video and trying to record the first bit of this podcast. And then uh, last night we had a live show. Uh, everyone was on target for the live show. Except me, Mrs. cracked open a can of stout. I got her that was like eight and a half percent, and she was like, "I don't like that." So I just grabbed that and I smashed it into me, and uh, <laughs> that was that was the the straw that broke the camel's back. I um, was just I was jaded last night. I'm still jaded, but look, I'm I think the start of this podcast was probably great. So I'm going to try and continue on that level of energy that I definitely don't have right now. But we're going to yeah. do it. <laughs> I can <laughs> barely read my own writing here. Like, that's, that's the level people, I'm at. People are listening to the podcast going, oh, this just took a shit turn, didn't it? No, it didn't. I won't let that happen. Uh, okay. So the last thing you said to me, Helmet, was, who's, who's your, your next, next one? one? <laughs> exactly. So my next one is Charles Bradley. And I picked the song uh, Changes, the, the Black Sabbath cover, just because the original is great and his version of it is super. He makes... Yeah. He makes that song sound like it was his and Black Sabbath covered it. That's how good he is. Are they going to go online and tell people like what the best cover is and I'll say that Black Sabbath's, Black Sabbath's cover of Charles <laughs> exactly, Bradley's uh, changes. I do that all the time now. Yeah, it's my new yeah. thing. And, and watch people lose their fucking minds. Yeah, people are fall for it. And, and you know what? I made it even worse. I did it with the Johnny Cash thing. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> I mentioned that something. It's the Johnny Cash thing, right? And I wrote, he uh, <laughs> said underneath it as well. Someone goes, uh, I don't think so. Uh, that's Johnny Cash's version. I went, 
or just Nine Inch Nails song. I was like, no, I man, Johnny Cash is gone since like the eighties. That got more people annoyed than the fucking original comment. Like, how are we going? Yeah, he did fucking falls in prison in fifties. I was sitting there going, oh man, I'm back in throne again. Here we go. Anyway, that's what I'm going to do with Charles uh, Barkley here. Charles Bradley. <laughs> I know Charles Barkley wasn't he a basketball player? He was. Yeah. See, this, was. This, this, folks, I'm not going to. I'm not going to lie to you. You're not getting much out of me here now tonight. We will. Um, I'm going to get the best out of you. All right. I'll do me, I'll do me best. someone getting the best. The best. The <laughs> so best. Charles, Charles Bradley was born in 1948 in Gainesville, Florida, which is a mad place. Right? Gainesville, Florida, Florida. generally. Yeah, Florida's yeah, mad. Gainesville is particularly mad. There's a big uh, festival on Gainesville every year called The Fest, which is uh, really famous. Um, it's cool. Name. Uh, this the fest makes sense, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. So he's abandoned by his mother at eight years old and he's raised by his grandmother. And mm-hmm. um, so he's a, apparently it wasn't the greatest of places to, to be growing up anyway. Gainesville, he was kind of always in trouble and stuff like that. But by the age of eight, his mother arrives back on the scene and his mother lives in uh, Brooklyn in New York. And she's right. like, Listen, I want my child back. I'm after coin to get me, me bits of bobs back together again. Yeah. So is there any chance that I can get my son back? And he's eight now. And well, legally, there's a full chance, yeah. But yeah. So uh, the granny's like, listen, it's up to him. And he goes, like, I've That's been cool. living with my granny for fucking years. Uh, even though you abandoned me when I can't remember, I'll go and live with my man in New York. That sounds like okay. it'd be better than Florida. So off he goes. I am um, Now, we had a sister as well who had been living with the mother. I think he had a much younger sister who, who uh, the, the mother, I think, would have had in New York. So okay. in 1962, him and his sister go to see James Brown and he gets full blown obsessed with James Brown, like spends all day humming and singing James Brown songs. This is all he wants to do with his life is like go and see James Brown and sing James, James Brown songs. Yeah. So eventually gets a pain in his home and he runs away from home. Now, one of the main reasons apparently he runs away from home is that his mother was still a bit of a scumbag and made him sleep in the basement of the house. And the basement didn't even have a floor. It was like a packed dirt floor. And he didn't have a bed. He literally like had a few blankets on a sand floor, and that's where he slept. So most nights he ended up sleeping like on the subways and sleeping rough and all this kind of shit. So he just he was having none of it. Yeah, um, that's fucking rough. Yeah, it's rough as fuck. So he gets a job as a chef. He joins this joins this weird thing called the Job Corps, which is like I don't think it exists anymore. The Job Corps seemed to be almost like the dole, but they could send you anywhere, like. You'd sign up saying, I need a job anywhere. I have no family. I don't give a shit. And they say... Oh, well, like, you, like the fucking... Like the do- <laughs> yeah, the international doll or something. Yeah, well, maybe exactly. International doll. Yeah, like, so yeah. They, they turn around and say, like, well, you, there's a job uh, streeping, uh, sweeping streets in Orlando or whatever. And he's like, yeah, whatever. So he gets yeah. a job as a chef. So we That's us now, by the way. That'll be much, us now. Pretty much. Um, he gets a job as a chef. Uh, chefs for a while. Well, singing and singing and kind of in the in the kitchens and singing James Brown songs and everybody's like, you're really really good at that. So I was like, do you reckon? And they said, do you know what? You should enter into a couple of like James Brown lookalike competitions. So he's yeah. like, oh right, yeah, I'll go do that. So he goes off and he starts entering into James Brown lookalike competitions and like talent shows and he's like winning them and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And uh, after a while, he gets paying his bollocks with that, but he's making a few making a few bob. Doing, he gets a pain in his bollocks doing the chef and work, and he uh, decides, Do you know what? I think I'll just hitchhike around the country and like follow the James Brown circuit. So he yeah. starts up like this kind of little one man show called, I think called it Black Velvet, I think is what he called it. And he mm. just travels all over America and Canada doing James Brown gigs as Black Velvet. He has like backing tapes, he shows up to a bar, he says, I'll do like a two hour James Brown show 
for like 50 quid and, and a burger. And they're like, all right, yeah, off you go. So off you go, does this for years and years and years. Uh, it gets discovered by this record label. Um, the record label are like, you're really good, but you're a bit old. Like, how are you? At this stage, you might have been 49 or 50. The record really? label are like, like, are you doing James Brown like stuff because you played with James Brown and like you're one of the old yeah, Motown sure. or Tamiya guys or something? And he's like, no, I just really <laughs> like James Brown. So they like, should have said, yeah. yeah it doesn't matter now, yeah. but exactly. yeah. So they turn around and say, well, around 2001, they turn around. They say, well, why don't you come and do some stuff with us? And he says, like, all right, yeah. So he rocks up to this record label, uh, the recording studio, and there's like a house band. And the house band are like, okay, have you got music for us there? And he says, no. And I says, what do you mean, no? He goes, <laughs> uh, what well, was I meant to have like my own songs? Because I've just been singing James Brown songs for like 30 years, man. I don't. Yeah. They're like, oh man, we've no music. And he says, you know what? Just riff some stuff out there and I'll wing it. And they're like, riff some stuff out. Yeah, like, you know, play some like old skill soul kind of stuff. Like, mess around with it and I'll just start singing. And so they were like, all right, yeah. So the engineer presses record and the band just start messing with each other, just like riffing and having a bit of crack. And he just jumps onto the microphone and starts singing whatever comes to his head. And they record it and they're like, that's really good. Like, that's really, really good. So they decide what they're going to do is they're going to do this for years with Charles Bradley. And eventually, it takes them like 15 years, but eventually they get around to releasing an album. And his first album is essentially a compilation of all these kind of riffed up messing sessions with this house yeah. band. Like literally 15 odd years of them back and forward, <clears throat> jumping in, not really writing songs or sometimes he'll come in with like, I, I wanted to go like, and then they go, and he goes, whatever, messes I'd love to have a band where I can just go like that. Do that. And they go, like fucking Captain B first. Yeah, exactly. Let's get a band good enough, I suppose, they can just pull it out of a hole, can't they? So yeah, his debut album comes out in 2011. So yeah, you've got, what, 10 years of being signed. Yeah, about 10 years of being signed to this label and recording material for them. And the first album, as I said, it's just kind of a compilation of weird stuff. Uh, the second album comes out in 2013 and has this song on it, the Black Sabbath cover um, of Changes. He was And he was getting real big. Like he was traveling all over the world. People were talking about him. And the dude is in his 50s at this stage. So unfortunately, Charles, uh, Charles died in 2017. Um, he was 68 when he died in 2017. Yeah. He died of stomach cancer. But apparently he'd been slowing down for like the year or two before that. He was just, he was about to hit like the apex of fame for almost like this... Uh, undiscovered acts that had been yeah because I remember <clears throat> hearing that cover being yeah. done some yeah. guy playing uh, like electric piano it was cool it, it's, it wasn't it wasn't as good I don't think as if it was making it out to be it was, yeah. it was brilliant like great but the only reason I'm saying that is because I presumed he was famous for billions of years yeah yeah and I just That's never heard of him talk. and the name yeah. sounded familiar as well yeah, I was like yeah, so I was like name. shit man I, I must have just I thought Slept I would have heard of it by yeah. now. So yeah, I just thought it. So I think I that might have been and that's different. That puts a diff- that puts a different slant on it then yep. for me. I was like, okay, I didn't know. Yes, to me, just... that's just like someone who's yeah. breaking out into fucking doing Black Sabbath. We've seen Johnny Cash do some yeah, stuff yeah. similar. Um, but uh, yeah. I didn't know that at the time until that's, like until he died insane. actually. And I was like, and, I, and then I was reading some stuff about when he died and I was like, oh, uh, he's only like Yeah, he's brand recently. new. Yeah, Jesus, brand new, like whatever, like four, I think three, four years on the go, um, as like a, a kind of a marquee name act. He'd been, yeah, he'd been doing little gigs beforehand under the guise of the record label and all. But the record label, yeah. obviously, like their plan was to make it look like Charles Bradley had been like a singer since the right. 60s. 
and they were bringing oh, him back. Oh right, yeah. Like you know? and again, all the hipsters going. I knew, <laughs> I, I knew he was. I always, I always knew of his stuff because yeah. I'll be honest with you, I wasn't even in the mood of lying about it. I yeah, like, I don't know him. I don't know. Never heard him. Exactly. That's cool though. But, that, but you know uh, it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say there? Yeah, I was going to say like much like Scatman, it's kind of sad that they only had a tiny brief. Yeah. Base for, but it's better than not having that at all. Probably. Like so many, yeah. so many people die before they were famous as well. That mm-hmm. has happened loads of times. Uh, more in art than music, but yeah, it does happen, and it's uh, it's kind of sad. So it's good that. To go out on a massive high, basically. Oh yeah, big time. I mean, like I said, he was he, he was one of the acts people were talking about because again, a lot of people assumed that he was a classic act, like a legacy act that was staging a comeback. But yeah. he wasn't. He he was a chef. Like much like Mark Morrison, Return of the Mac. I was like, I don't remember it the first time around. Yeah, exactly. What you're touring for? Where did you go? <laughs> you know? That's genius. Yeah, exactly. He it's has like a when Barry Scott studio. comes out from, from Shilla, Shilla Bang. Shilla Hi, I'm Barry Scott. And I'm like Oh yeah, Barry's White Hill. Hill. Yeah, exactly, before before yeah. you've even had a chance to question it, he's already clean yeah. cleaned out walked up like this lad. He's like, Hey, I'm obviously you know, Barry Scott. You should I'm know like, me. Oh, obviously obviously you are. I know. Yeah, I, totally. I knew I knew that before. Yeah. I listened to your first three uh, fucking detergents. Uh, so that's Charles Bradley. Who is your next one? My next one is Mick Mars, guitarist from Motley Crew, the debaucherous mm. teenage rock band, but he wasn't a teenager. When he was in Motley Crue, <laughs> he was a fair bit older. Yeah. Uh, I think he was in his mid to late 30s when the band found full success with Motley Crue. Uh, people are more than, like, more than likely going to comment because uh, on that because it's it's sort of unknown what age he actually is. It's yeah, he kept a secret, I remember. Places, that, yeah. yeah, so I honestly think... I honestly think he was honestly in his mid to late 30s. Like we said, we're not doing exactly fucking... Yeah, close people. enough. But uh, he was known as the old man from Motley Crue mm. by, by the band when they started. Um, for most of his career, he actually named Motley Crue mm. because one of his old bands, someone said, you're like a Motley looking crew. And he was like, uh. I'm going to start a band called that. Yeah, for most of his career, he's openly struggled with ankylosing spondylitis. Yeah, he has some weird bounding, doesn't he? Yeah, well, it's a chronic inflammation of a type of arthritis Oof. that affects the spine and pelvis, which is, Jesus, straight mm. to the fucking, the good stuff. Um, it was diagnosed when he was 17, and it's gotten worse over the years. It, it led to a hip replacement in 2004. Um, but, like, over the years, it has caused his lower spine to, to freeze up Oof. almost completely solid. So that brings scoliosis with it, mm. and he gets smaller. As a result of that's that. right, I remember reading that because I so, read that Dort book and they yeah. talked an awful lot about his being hunched over and stuff like that. Yeah, right? so he's he's three inches shorter than he was when he was fourteen or so. Jesus, yeah, he's a, he's an absolutely fantastic guitar player. Like they were very very lucky to get yeah. him in. He's yeah. and he's I would say he was like the fucking moral compass or the one that kept him in line. Mm. I don't think he gave a fuck. Yeah, I think he just let them, let them loose. And he is a he was a functioning alcoholic, which is mm. to be fair to him. There's a lot to be said for functioning alcoholics when they're around people who are or yeah. unfunctioning messes like the rest of the band were. Do you know what I mean? If yeah, you absolutely. give it to the functioning ones, they at least come yeah. to, uh, hold it together and turn up on time. <laughs> um, he is finished touring now. Yeah. Because Motley Crue are, but they might not be. Are they though? They hope they are after watching are those, those Vince Neil videos. Oh, God. Oh, man. Fucking fall from grace there. Shock. I need a little fatso. Nothing goes wrong with that. Like I'm a fatso now, but I'm not like the god of fucking glam rock. Oh, shocking, shocking. Am I, I being mean, am I being mean calling people out over fucking eating too many pies when they're on stage? I don't think so. I am. 
maybe that's whitest. But, uh, that thing? I'm whitest against myself every day in the mirror, so at least people <laughs> can, can console themselves with the fact that yeah, I, it's yeah. one real for all, one real for me as well. Yeah, yeah that was uh, that was Mick Mars. Look, I don't know what else to say about it. He, yeah. In the book, there's not a huge amount about Mick Mars. He keeps himself to himself a lot. Yeah, yeah. He does a solo project as well. I think he's got one with Nikki Six mm. now again, and he's he's always calling on Tommy. Tommy's mm. a fucking unreal drummer, to be fair. We'll call him. Um, I think he's living a lot cleaner than he was. Yeah, he's he uh, he, he's got a lot of charities and all going. Now he's he's he's. Just, I always get the feeling off off Tommy that he's just a dumb fuck, and he has like, oh yeah, so, some real like woke mates, and he just like via osmosis. He's like, we have to save the uh, polar bears that are uh, yeah, but filling in the holes in the ozone. You have to there. remember that there's, there's parties, deadly parties with all those uh, ah, yeah. charity launches. Exactly. And yeah, the, of course. the parties have cocaine, and then you can also get the thing of feeling like you did something good. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a really cynical way to look at it. But let's talk about mm. fucking Motley Crew here. Yeah, like I said, I think he's finished touring now. Uh, who knows what? When, if Motley Crew call him back, he'll probably go back. You yeah. know, but uh, for a while he was using a sort of stand that he would sort of lean against because fucking back. hell, like a Zimmer frame yeah. or something. Yeah, but he was still absolutely shredding on the guitar, course, yeah. and some of his riffs are absolutely incredible. <laughs> I know Nick, Nicky Six wrote a lot of the the main structure of the song, but. Um, mm. Look, I have a lot of time for Mick Mars. He seems like the least pricky one out of the whole band. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, but he was touching 40 when they were... Uh, mm. And he was touching 40 with the back of an 80-year-old. Yeah, exactly. So that was uh, that was uh, Mick Mars of Motley Crue. Who's your next one? My next one is Thelonious Monk. Yeah, I was having a look at him for my one as well. Very interesting. Uh, yeah. So, uh, born Thelonious Sphere Monk in 1917. Um the name Thelonious comes from a misspelling on his birth cert. Nobody could read his birth cert or something like that. Um, it wasn't meant to be Thelonious, but apparently he had like a great grandfather whose name was Thelonious. So everybody just started calling him that instead. So a phenomenal name. Yeah, Thelonious Monk is a fucking great name. So he was born in North Carolina in 1917, and he's the second most recorded jazz artist of all time. Um, like it's, this, I'm not. I've been saying this for years. Like I like loads of jazz, but I know nothing about jazz. Um, I I have listened to Thelonious Monk on many occasions. The problem with with jazz for me, uh, it suffers from the same problem that classical music has: is that you don't really know where to start. Uh, it's not like there's like uh, the 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 entry guide to Thelonious Monk. You have to talk to someone who's mad at Thelon- into Thelonious Monk, and they talk to you and tell you, ask you what you like, and then you turn around and go. Oh, okay, that album there. Then. So you get recommended stuff in jazz more so than discover it yourself. It's interesting. Um, so he started off in his late twenties playing with a, a evangelical uh, group playing the organ, uh, kind of touring around the country. Uh, he was taught how to play. I think it was his auntie or something like that taught him how to play piano. Um, by the nineteen oh. forties, he was in the house band. Uh, he was the pianist in a house band in a place called Minton's Playhouse in Manhattan, which is like a really famous nightclub. We're talking like debauchery fucking nightclub. And he was in the house band. So he got really famous, like in kind of jazz circles for being the in, in the house band in Mint, Minton's Playhouse. Like that essentially would have meant that he could have played anywhere in America, but he just kind of pulling that out. Yeah, I'm in the house band in Minton's yeah. Playhouse. Uh, made his first that's like, that's like just fucking just well known, like yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. You'd be, like, like pick whatever the biggest nightclub in the world and tell people that you Cl- had club a M in Temple Bar, exactly. <laughs> Buskers, I, I'm a resident <laughs> DJ in Buskers, and uh, that means I can play here in Ibiza tonight. Um, so 
made his first recordings with a, a group called the the Coleman Hawkins Quartet in 1944. But it wasn't like it wasn't his recordings. He just kind of sat in because the recordings would have been extremely uh, complicated and expensive in the 40s. Yeah, but he kind of caught on in the jazz circles, as I said, because he, he was kind of a name. They were like, this guy is pretty good, like, you know, but he never really broke out. It was really difficult to break out in jazz at the time because it was it was all kind of sewn up. But he kept doing like, the little albums himself and he'd release albums uh, for decades and nobody gave a shy. Like, they were just, he was almost doing them just to kind of satiate himself. Like, he was like, you know, I just want to... I'm into that. I'm into that idea. Yeah, but that's... That's, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. Done it. We're all doing that. Yeah, I've done it myself, yeah. He just wanted... we're all pushing 40. Oh, this is definitely about us, isn't it? Exactly, so constantly. yeah. Um, Helmet Monk. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he um, he kept banging these albums out and no one really gave a show. Like I said, um, the, he signed to this record label and... Um, so they were a record label, like a decent record label, but nobody would carry it. None of the record stars would carry the albums at all. Um, so we left them. And in 1962, we signed with Columbia Records. Columbia cool. Well, not, not, a, not a good record. <laughs> They're great. Solid, but, yeah. But uh, not very nice, apparently. Apparently, yeah. But they'd been signing up a couple of jazz acts and the name Thelonious just kept coming up in, in these kind right. of jazz circles. So he signed to them and they released an album called Monk's Dream in 1963. And that just changed everything. Uh, Columbia were behind them. They pushed them to the moon and that album, everybody bought that album. Like that's one of those kind of, if you like jazz, you have to own Monk's Dream. It's just one of these things. Um, Columbia had kind of copped on somewhere along the line that this deal was really important like to jazz. And they just put, they literally just strapped a fucking rocket to him. Uh, by 1964, he's on the cover of Time magazine. Jesus. Like, like that's what year was that? 1964. He's on the cover of Time magazine. He was actually supposed to be on the cover in 1963, which would have been a year, a year after uh, his album was released. But JFK mm. was killed, and oh, yeah. his his issue that Thelonious was supposed to be on the cover for got uh, replaced by JFK or whatever. They done a big big yeah. fluff piece on JFK, Fuck and uh, that kind of fucked the whole. Of all the luck, thing. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so after after Monk's Dream came out, like I said, that was the. From that point on, he was like one of their most guys. As I said, the second most recorded jazz artist of all time. The, the amount of recordings that Thelonious was on is mind-boggling. Like, I yeah, didn't that's even why write I, it I, can't be, I can't be a proper fan now because I, I can't get into him now. What's the point? It's too late. It's too much. Yeah, it's too late. Like, everyone's going to give you a different thing. Is there a best of Thelonious? <laughs> exactly. But by, the time, by the time um, Monk's Dream came out, he was 46 years of age. Um, and he died in Jesus. 1982 of a stroke. But they kind of kept it secret. He was, I think he might have been living in a home or something like that. And oh, no a, There was a load of shit going on. They were trying to keep it all secret. And um, what was happening to him, but eventually they came out and said it was a stroke a couple of years after he had died, I think. Um, but yeah, it's still to this day considered to be one of the most popular and important jazz acts of all time. But that's Thelonious Monk, uh, didn't, yeah. didn't get his breakthrough until nine, until he, sorry, until he was 46 years of age. There's still a little bit of hope for us here, Helmer. I think so. Still a little bit. So. So. Who was your next one? My next one is C Stick Steve, who right. found his fame in his 50s. Yeah. That's quite now. I'm not saying he was not in music until his fifties. He was, of course. Mm. He was born in 1951. He's an American blues song singer songwriter. A lot of mm. people know him. He's very, very, very popular. Especially a lot of my mates yeah. that won't shut up about him. That's what stops me sort of listening. Yeah, I can't. Whenever, too whenever I do, too many people wreck C60. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I have it. Just give me a minute. 
Yeah. I heard it, I heard one song and I was like, that's fucking deadly. Yeah. But all I heard was people people are awful fuckers for wrecking stuff on you. Ruiners. Because I don't know if it's because we are DJs or because we have like a fucking music podcast. People are more eager to tell us about stuff. And that's cool. Uh, jump Appreciate on you that. bastards. Yeah. But just chill out when I'm just listening to something else or in yeah. the <laughs> I will, I'll get to it. But I never got to it because too many people said it. And then I think a few years ago, I saw some sort of performance. I finally just clicked on one of the links. I was like, shit, yeah, he's great. He's yeah. very good. He is very good. So from the late 60s, he worked as a musician and recording engineer around the US and Europe. Hmm. And <clears throat> as well as doing other stuff as well, because that wasn't a level where he could just do it all the time. Hmm. Um, his, his professional breakthrough came in 2006. Yeah, as in as his musician one. Mm. That's a long time since the fifties. Damn right. Yeah, since fifty one. Like, well, is that right? Yeah, I got into maths. That I think it's something like that. Oh, yeah, too, yeah. Too hung over to be on maths. No, I'm not doing that. Yeah. So he made his first UK television appearance on the Jill Holland Hootenanny mm. uh, New Year's Eve two thousand six, and that's the one he did a, a song called Doghouse Boogie and, and a Mississippi Drum Machine, and that's the one that kind of pushed him. Jill's Holland is known for breaking acts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not physically. They don't even break them on the show. Yeah. He, he breaks them in terms of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't do that. Imagine that. Right, we're going to break C16 here over yeah. his piano with a, with a hammer. <laughs> no, imagine that. Jesus Christ. No, he broke, absolutely broke all over England. And that's actually the first place he started to get really big. Yeah. Now, before that, he wasn't unknown in America because he was good friends with Cork Cobain. I say good friends. He, People want to say that. He was well known by Cork Cobain. They knew each other. Yeah. And he actually began recording local musicians. And one of them was uh, <coughs> Kathleen Hanna of Bikini Kill. And we talked about ah, Bikini Kill yeah, when we were talking about um, Courtney Love because she right. obviously hates that band because hmm. Cork Cobain was with one of the members of, I think, possibly the drummer, hmm. Tori, I think it is. Um, so he produced their stuff. He also, in this is mad, in 1996, produced Modest Mouse debut. Wow. This is a long drive for someone with nothing to think about, which is a great title. Mm. Um, he produced that. That's mad. I found that. I go, hang on a second. So he's like a well, well-known producer. Not really, actually. So back to 2006, a massive tour followed. Mm. Which, fair play to him when he's 50 going, yeah, I did a big massive tour. Although 50's not fucking old. No, not, not anymore. Not really. And he's a good, healthy-looking fella. Like. <laughs> he's he's fairly robust-looking. Strong man. arms on him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he signed to Warner in 2009. Hmm. was nominated for a Brit Award uh, in the same year and he was a subject of a BBC documentary called uh, 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 what was it called again? Fucking Jesus. C6 Steve's documentary. Uh, fucking, yeah, the show. <laughs> the show. Yeah. yeah. The C6 Steve show. I know I know a lot of people um, that I'm way more mad into them than I am. Dude. Yeah. Not, they haven't all wrecked on me. It's just be one person that'll go, you know, it'll hook, something will come up and they'll go, this is a cool thing and this is all I'll talk about for the next month. Yeah. They're like, me and you are the same. The more people yap on about something, the further it goes back on the back burner. I listen, took, me, took me like 10 years to listen to Ghost. Like, <laughs> <laughs> honest to God it's like, no, up there, it, it, it may be a flaw in our character that we just like what do you do once you do it and you realise that's brilliant it's yeah. nothing to do with telling someone they were right or right like that it's no. like oh, you've, re- you've ruined the buzz yeah. like we love finding stuff I don't know yeah yeah, yeah. I don't mind I don't mind stuff past me when I get them but look that was C6 Steve um, mm. he, you can throw on any song of C6 Steve and I guarantee you, you'll like it you might not think it's the best thing that ever happened because he has well, got some songs like that yeah. but Jesus like he's very, 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 very good. Um, that Thank was him. You. Who's your next one? My next one is Leonard Cohen. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That blew me away to find that out. I thought he was like 
17 when he had his first massive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I didn't know that he was Canadian either. Um, straight up, I didn't did. know he was I, Canadian. I, I, I did not. I can't remember. He looks Canadian. Uh, yeah, it does now thinking back on it, definitely. Maybe <laughs> actually, yeah. In retrospect, when I'm told idiot. the truth, he's he look he looks what is the truth, yeah. Um <laughs> so he's born in uh, nineteen thirty-four in Montreal in uh, in Canada. And uh, oh, he wanted to be a, a writer, didn't want to be a singer. Had no real interest really. Uh didn't attempt music until like the end of the sixties. Uh, he was like thirty three before he even bothered picking up a microphone. And even then it was more poetry style kind of beat poetry set to a bit of kind of music um he apparently he moved to new york from montreal because he was kind of chasing writing gigs and he was doing writing left right and center and they weren't he was doing books of poetry and and kind of fiction and none of it was doing particularly great but eventually he ended up moving to new york and he fell in with the the factory crowd andy warhol's crowd and he was kind of like a, an outlier and there he'd hang around and he got to see like, you know, Velvet Underground and Nico and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, maybe I can do this. Like these guys are doing something close enough to my poetry and my writing, right. but there's a bit of music to it. So maybe I'll start doing that. So but like I said, the end of the 60s, he started recording music. It doesn't really like really do it. And apparently like he played some music. He played some music for, for Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol went like, just keep at it. Keep at it and see what happens. Like and apparently, like it then told people afterwards, like I don't know what the fuck that was. Like that's not music. Now, Andy Warhol wouldn't have been the greatest uh, voice in the world for music, in any way. But getting the rub off him or being associated with him in any way definitely gives people a little bit of a bit of a buzz up. So in the seventies, he ends up working with like Phil Spector, and he he records a bunch of stuff, tours all over the world. But he seems to be more like an arty attraction. You know, he's like. Not doing particularly super by by any means. Uh, like he's touring the world, but like this, you know, some people are coming to see him. But he's not household name. He's not Leonard Cohen as we know him now, really and truly. It's not until 1984 with the album Various Positions and the song Hallelujah, and with that song, all of a sudden the world is paying attention, and like there's cover versions of Hallelujah start spitting out left right and center like his hallelujah does really well but cover versions of hallelujah start doing super well as well which yeah, leads people too. back leads people back i mean obviously you've got the jeff buckley one which is really famous but there's a bunch of them there's like the john cale version and there's a lot crazy amounts of them he ends up doing songs uh, on a couple of soundtracks he does songs on um pump up the volume he does stuff on natural born killers um, so they helped him kind of promote himself to a whole new audience in the 90s. In 1994, he retreats to the Zen Center. This is fucked up. He's like, oh, you know what? I'm after living a mad life. I'm going to go and be a monk. 1994, disappears into it. Uh, 2001, he comes back nice. and just starts blitzing albums out. Pew, pew, pew. He was writing them the whole time, the cheeky devil. In, a, in his head. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he, um, he disappeared for like, Jesus, how many years is that? Uh, six, seven, seven years in the Zen center doing nothing just to kind of reset his fucking chakra or whatever. And then 2001 pops back out, does one album to see how it does, does all right, starts flying again. But he was 50 years of age when Hallelujah came out. And that was when that album was, I mean, Hallelujah was the big song, but various positions, the album done really well. Like people start paying attention to him. So, uh, yeah, 50 years of fucking age, uh, died in 2016, um, as we said. Uh, that was a big one when he died. That I mean, was there was a lot of people I know that like like a lot of people ran to the internet with lots of people 
with that crocodile theories, but that was one I felt that a lot yeah. of people I know, my mates were fucking hit like a hammer with that one. Yeah, like I'm again, wouldn't be the biggest Cohen no, fan. No, I mean, in the world, I didn't but, jump on it and I fucking listened to them all the time. I didn't. Yeah, but it's still it's one of those acts that, like, when one of the big ones goes, you know, like Bowie. Oh, goes, yeah. Went, I've always respected like, his stuff and I didn't give exactly. it a listen. Do you know, I did give his Mad 80s stuff a listen a while ago. He has a lot of electronic yeah. stuff as well. Yeah, and I thought it was all right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they all a lot of respect to, for him. But yeah, me and you don't do the crocodile tears. No, absolutely not. Anyway, that was Leonard Cohen. Who was your next one? My last one, I think. Is Your last one? one, yes, it is. Yeah, is indeed uh, one of, if not the most famous film composer of all time, mm. Ennio Morricone. Yes, Italian-born composer, genius, multi-instrumentalist. He wasn't really widely known until 1964. Now it's hard to to kind of quantify fame when we're talking about famous after 40. Yeah, because in Italy, he'd solid work. Mm. I don't really know how famous he was. If you went to ask maybe Italian people in their 80s, and like, yeah, he was massive. Of course, he was always, we we're always behind him. You know what I mean? You would do that. Irish yeah, people do yeah. the same thing. But he wasn't really widely known until about 1964 when he scored Fistful of Dollars and the Spaghetti, trilogy, the spaghetti trilogy mm. and the Spaghetti Westerns, as they're called. It's a bit of a ropey fucking name by today's standards. Yeah. But, um, that's what they're called. They're probably always going to be called that. I, I um, definitely will. It's a, it's a whole kind of subsect yeah. of cinema like yeah, that's when they started to bleed over into America because they were so fucking good. Mm. So good. Um, and he was pushing 40, late 30s, 40 when mm. Fistful of Dollars came out. Jesus. So this was, he followed that obviously with the, the, a few dollars more and the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. And, but here's the thing. He wasn't even really massively famous at that point because he wasn't doing them under his own name. Ah. He never used it. In fact, he'd often go under pseudonyms like Dan Savio, Leo Nichols, which is mm. the fucking bad one. But I guess that's a good idea. Do you know what I mean? Mm. To, to sort of Western the fight. Well, you're already in the West, but you know what I mean? Uh, the, oh no, Italy. What? That's not the West. How do you, how do you say that? The Western that? world, Italy. Western yes. world, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, but if you're talking about like him making the... Tripping over like, geography here. Yeah, listen, <laughs> forget it. Like, forget about it. <laughs> but was, yeah, it was really outside Italy. Um people started to take note of him. Then he has scored 200 films Fuck. In, in his life. He obviously, you know, he died this year. Yeah. And that was a mad, mad one. And you know what annoys me? And it's just typically me. I'll see him next year. I've never yeah, seen oh, yeah. him. I'll yeah. see him next year. Oh, but to same. be fair, like I just didn't have that money and I didn't always have the nights off. He Those ticket paid. prices were crazy <clears throat> for Marconi. They're outrageous, but now that he's passed away, they're very relatively cheap. Exactly. Yeah. Would you pay double now? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd yeah. pay fucking triple to go to a gig. I was saying this last night. Yeah. I'd go to a local band's gig now. Nobody messing. I wouldn't stay there. <laughs> 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 Little metal band. Fuck off. No, I'm only joking. Or am I though? I don't know. Don't Sometimes know I yet. say these things and Soon. I don't know whether I'm just a terrible person or not. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> fucking. I don't know. Maybe. Cl- cl- Claw nail, you got to see them. Yeah, they're <laughs> fucking they're from Tala and yeah. they've got three guitars. <laughs> no, nope. all right, thanks. But it's the pandemic, it's the first gig ever since the pandemic. It's free, mm. free beer and everything. No, <laughs> I'll wait till Dead Can Dance come over and charge like 56 quid a ticket. Um, so the track I chose was Gabriel's Obro, which yeah. it's it's not, uh, what you call it, uh, any of the famous ones from the, yeah. the trilogy, but it's from The Mission, which is one of my favorite films. And Gabriel's Obro is spine chilling. That's yeah. one of those, oh, hits you right there, especially yeah. if you watch any um, 
full orchestra tributes of, or even, I don't know, I've never actually seen, Jesus, of all the videos I've watched, I don't think I've ever seen him. Um, Do it live. Looked in it or anything like that, yeah. Mm. Um, here's a mad one, right? Did you know that Sergio Leone used to play the scores of the films over the set while the actors were doing it oh. sure it was all get, it was all getting overdubbed anyway yeah so yeah, true so he'd do that to get um like a much much more like epic feel from the actors oh, yeah, that. Cool. Oh, I, I think that would work do you know I what so, i really yeah. do think that would work yeah, yeah. i think a few act, a few people do that but it made sense for him to do it, it was easier when the whole thing was sort of getting overdubbed anyway um he made use of very kind of unusual instruments like the fender stratocaster yeah. that you hear um on uh, the good the bad and the ugly stuff mm. That would be very odd for a Western choice then, even though, but then. Well, even now, even by classical standards, like using guitars is frowned, frowned against. Like it's just frowned upon. It's, yes, of course. You, you never well, see someone, it in orchestra. Yeah, pits. when you see them getting broken out, it's like, oh, a rock guitar. Yeah. yeah. But look, it's film composing. That's sort of somewhat sometimes looked down on that anyway. Yeah, yeah. True, yeah. true. He's done films for Tarantino, Brian De Palma, Roland Joff, just talking there about the mission, mm. uh, and Terence Malick. It's when he broke into real fame in, mm. in Hollywood and stuff like that. He was 91 when he died this year. Um, he's not only influenced other composers, but he's influenced contemporary artists like yeah. everyone at the moment. Everyone, Metallica come out to one of his songs. Exactly. Radiohead have said they're a that, massive um, That new Mandalorian show, the, the theme song for that is basically Morricone. Like, it's 100% yeah. Morricone. It makes, you know? Yeah, it's sort of like a space western or yeah. whatever, so yeah. it makes sense, yeah. Um, so that was my last one. What's your, who's your last one? My last one's uh, slightly off-kilter, and it's a guy called Dan Wilson. Dan Wilson was the singer and songwriter for uh, the band Semi-Sonic, if you remember. Oh, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, for, for some reason, I liked when I was younger, when they were doing the rounds. Uh, I didn't know much about him, but I was rooting around at musicians that kind of got famous around around 40. And uh, his name popped up and I was like, oh, this might be interesting. I kind of digging into it and it was really, really cool. So uh, he's born in 1961 in Minnesota. Um, started playing music with a band called Trip Shakespeare in 1987, but started Semisonic in 1992. Now, they get signed uh, in kind of the mid-90s and released their first album in 1996. Now, one of these kind of post-Nirvana record label sop up every guitar band in America type of fucking deals you know what I mean Uh, first album does okay does okay like uh, again it's kind of lost in the mix a little bit but by 1998 they released the album Feeling Strangely Fine which had the song Closing Time on it which was just monstrous like that's it's a, song a great song. It is a good song. I actually like that album. There's loads of good good songs on that album. They've only they've only fuck all material. They don't have that much material, and there's kind of a reason for that as well. Oh, so, sorry, yeah, we'll so, let you do that. <laughs> it's your bit. <laughs> yeah. So he does. Um, he does. Uh, Feeling strangely fine comes out. Clouds and Time does fucking you. Singing in my sleep and secret smile both do really big off that album as well. Uh, they stopped performing in 2001, but they they released actually released a new album in September this year. Now that can probably rotten hell I doubt I'm ever going to listen to it um, but he starts popping out solo albums um, in the late 2000s as well so he's kind of messing around producing his own stuff kind of the bollocks whatever and Rick Rubin turns around to him and says like I'd really like to do a solo album with you and he goes well fucking Rick Rubin saying he wants to do a solo, solo album with right. you. off I go and I do it and that kind of what we found out from that is that he had been writing songs for artists for years, kind of not, not secretly, but like he wasn't making a big song and dance about it. Like he'd written songs for like Pink, the Dixie Chicks, Adele. He wrote a load of songs for Adele. One um, of the songs he wrote for the Dixie Chicks is fucking unreal. 
I, 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 I picked it before. I think it's uh, Easy Silence. He wrote after, for the comeback album when they got into all that trouble with. So good. Like, yeah, he's, he's very really smart. good. He wrote stuff for uh, Celine Dion. He wrote stuff for Stevie. Jesus, Nicks. I didn't know that. He's wrote songs for Weezer, for Panic at the Disco, for Hardy Connick Jr., for Taylor Swift. He wrote a song for Nas, the rapper. What? Yeah, like absolutely outrageous so he, he done this weird thing a couple of years ago where he released this album called Recovered and it's him playing the songs he wrote for all these famous artists which is yeah. kind of a cool idea um, and he can sell them again and get more money sell them again like I never heard of that being done so him as like kind of a private songwriter for all these acts and he's like do you know what if I just play my songs myself the way I would like them to be played and released yeah. as a full album. It was kind of a cool idea. Oh, sorry, he did the he played the songs that he wrote. I thought you yeah. said he just compiled them. Sorry, right? No, no, he literally re-recorded the songs he wrote for all these famous acts. How did this one for Nas sound? I haven't a fucking clue. I'll tell you, <laughs> I'm I'll tell you tomorrow because I'm gonna go looking for it. Um, I don't even know what's on that album. I don't right. know how they how they'd figure it out. <laughs> um, he's done soundtracks for a shit ton of movies, like a shit ton. Um, but he was 37. When uh, closing time came out, nah, bollocks, yeah, 37. What, yeah, he looks like Louis Thoreau a bit as well. He has, I that didn't, he does not look 37 when closing yeah, time came out, 37 when closing time. What, came he's out, fucking yeah. semi sonic oil of Vule, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, Holy so shit. like I said, he'd been doing the round since like 1987 with this band Trip Shakespeare, which kind of. Half of it, like that band kind of disintegrate, and he took the drummer, I think, from that Good, band. Because that name is, is terrible. Trip Shakespeare, it's not, it's not, it's not great at all. Uh, but yeah, but it's, it's 1998 when they properly hit. Like the first album, like I said, done all right. People kind of cared, but yeah. not massively, not by not no great shakes like at all. But yeah, that was uh, that's Dan Wilson from Semi Sonic. He was I did not know. Yeah. Really, that's mad. Yeah, I can't believe we made it through that podcast. Finally, it took a week. <laughs> Literally took a fucking week, lads. Like, it did. I can't wait to listen to the start of it compared to that. So yeah. much pain. So much pain. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll leave you with that. Uh, we have some cool stuff coming out this week, I believe. Is it going to be this week? Will be this week. Yeah, we don't know. It might, it might be already out by the time you hear this. If not, no, this, they're going to hear not, this tomorrow. Oh, that's true. Yes, yeah, so it won't be. Yeah, so yeah, in the next couple of days yeah. from hearing this, you will see... Uh, a video that some Patreon people got a wait. little taste of. <laughs> can't wait. I really and truly can't wait. People are going to think that there's something wrong with us after this comes out and we drink too much, which may not be I feel, totally I feel, unfounded. I feel where they're getting it from today now, I'll tell you. I really, really? do. I'm like, I won't mind. Where I'm sitting right now, I haven't had a chance to clean up this room and I'm surrounded by the empty cans of gargle and point Oh glasses. no, the shame. And uh, the absolute shame. And there's full one sitting in front of me, just judging me. There's an empty bottle of vodka and all sitting here. It's like some <laughs> horrific like, It's horrific. Anyway, that's us, folks, for this week. Uh, as usual, if you like what we do, you got to patreon.com forward slash Lost Art Podcast. That's a subscription-based service that costs you five euros a month. Get you access to loads of exclusive videos and fucking podcasts and random nonsense that we throw up there uh, if you don't want to get a subscription go to kofi.com forward slash lost our podcast all the links are there in the podcast feed and if you have no money you have no job like us because this is our job now that's fine just share it share it on your social media of choice that's all we ask for um, do us a favour subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts wherever you're getting your thing from makes a big difference uh, to us because the more people that share it and listen to it and subscribe to it and like it blah 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 the more these social media websites share it out a little bit more uh, so yeah that's it for this week and we will be back on Monday 
next Monday with a fresh podcast. Yes. And we won't be back this weekend with a live show, but we will be back the weekend after. Indeed. Uh, keep a look on the Facebook page and the social media. Stay page safe. Have it. Yeah, stay safe.ie forward slash wear your mask, <laughs> you fucking bastards. Because um, we have to start wearing masks outdoors and all now, don't we? Yeah, well, I wore them when I was walking by a street anyway, because the fucking fuckers coughing them. I'm not absolutely not fucking breathing in those coughs. You know what? Oh, this mask thing doesn't bother me. I, I hate wearing them, yeah. but to be honest with you, I'm into it. Oh, I got a bandana and I wear it around my neck now, like, like I'm some sort of crap biker. Um, so yeah. I always have a mask with me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's not great, but it's better than because yeah, I keep forgetting the mask. Do, I know, I get that, but if you, it'll do the job if you get stuck. Nothing worse than getting stuck. In I've walked all the way to the shops without a oh, mask. So many times. Fuck's sake. So I've got 20, 20 minutes to walk for a shop for me. Yeah. So, oh, really? Yeah, 15. No, 15 oh, minutes. Over the side of a mountain. Anyway. Um, <laughs> right, we're done. Folks, see you next week. Good night. See you. Good night.